Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What were the creatures that tried to overrun a Kentucky farm on the night of August 21st, 1955? Did they have anything to do with the UFO sightings that were going on in the area during that time? Has any new information come to light? Greetings and welcome to the 600th official edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those old and new questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we bring you into one of the strangest paranormal incidents in American history with someone whose family was at the center of it 60 years ago this Friday. And uh, we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240. That is locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. And don't forget about about our Facebook page. Geraldine Sutton Stith is the daughter of Elmer Sutton, whose family experienced what has become known as the Kelly Green Men incident and the Kelly... Hopkinsville encounter in western Kentucky in 1955. That's when I was two years old. She is the author of Alien Legacy and a new book just out this month, The Kelly Green Men, Alien Legacy Revisited. Geraldine and her husband live in Princeton, Kentucky. Hey, So Geraldine Stith, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thanks for having me back. Oh, well, it's great to have you back. So let us, uh, let's start off with something a little, little bit simple. So to be clear, this incident took place several years before you were born, so you weren't an eyewitness, but you grew up with the eyewitness, eyewitnesses, yes? Yes. Okay, so please tell us the story. Okay, well the story has been heard a thousand times. <laughs> I'm sure most of the people that are tuning in has probably heard it a thousand times. Well, probably so. not in New England here, but... <laughs> huh? Probably not here in New England, but just, oh, just you, uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, just fill everyone in who might not know about it. You would be surprised. Lots of people have heard this story. Lots of people love this story. But, uh, yes, it happened in 1955, um, August the 21st, which our 60th anniversary will be this Friday. That's right. A lot of sixes in this show. 600th show and uh, 60th anniversary <laughs> yeah. of the incident, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, of course, we have our festival every year, so we're excited this year. Yeah, we'll plug that later on, yeah. And um, anyway, uh, 1955, um, it was very hot August here in Kentucky, very dry. And um, my um, um, grandmother and uh, one of my uncles, J.C., and his wife lived with my grandmother on a farm there in Kelly, Kentucky. And um, my father at the time, he had worked in the carnival since he was like 14 years old. So he had been with the carnival for several years. And um, him and his wife at the time, uh, Vera, they uh, were working with the carnival, and they just happened to be in Evansville that weekend. And so they decided, since they were so close with Evansville, probably an hour and a half away, probably back then two hours, because we didn't have, you know, the interstates and everything we have now. But um, um, they decided to come home since they were so close, and they brought their friends, Billy Ray and June Taylor, with them for the weekend. So they come on down, and um, they had a nice little visitation that weekend, and that Sunday evening, um, 
it was their last evening to be together, and so they were all having a nice little time, and Billy Ray decided to go out to the well to get some water. Now, you got to understand, this is 1955. They lived out in the country. Um, no plumbing. Mm-hmm. They had electricity. So he went out to the well to get some of that cold water because, like I said, it was a dry, hot August. And uh, while he was out there, of course, it was about dusk, and um, he heard something, looked up, and there going across the sky was something silver in shape, I mean silver in color, oval shaped, with the colors of the rainbow flowing behind it. Well, it scared him. He didn't know what it was. About that time, the old hound dog come running by, uh, tail tucked ears down, and ran under the house. So he ran in the house and told Everybody, he had, you know, he saw something, didn't know what it was, but, you know, there's something out here. Of course, my dad and him thought that he went out there and he cooked up a little scheme to scare the girls. you got to understand, these were all young people. And uh, Billy Ray's wife, as a matter of fact, was only 18 at the time. Hmm. So, you know, that was the thought. And so they just brushed it off and just laughed at him, and he kept on and kept on. And my dad finally told him, says, okay, take me out here and show me, show me what you saw. So Billy Ray took him out to the well, pointed up to the sky, showed him where he saw the set, told him what it was. And so they tried to reason it out, you know, shooting stars. They had had meteor showers that month, you know, everything. And, you know, Billy Ray was like, it's none of those things. I know what all of those look like. It was none of those. And so, well, you know, my dad was like, well... There's nothing out here now, so let's just go back in the house and finish our card game. So as they were heading into the house, lo and behold, out from the back in the woods came something. Three, three and a half foot tall, grayish, silver in color, big, glowing eyes, huge ears, arms down to the ground, and it was floating. Legs were not moving. It did have legs, but they were not moving. They were actually floating on top of the ground. Okay. Didn't know what this was, so they ran in the house, told everybody if they had just seen something. Of course, now they thought that, sure enough, these two young fellows went out there and cooked up this big thing to scare the girls. And my grandmother, you know, tried to calm them down and say, you need to stop. I've got three small children in this house, which she did. You know, my, my grandmother at the time was a widower. She did have three children that were 12, 10, and 7 at the time. And so she was wanting to get them in bed, and she didn't need them going to bed with nightmares. Mm. <clears throat> and so um, my dad was very adamant about it, and he was trying to tell my grandmother, his mother, you know, Mom, there's something out there. I, I saw it, and... They just let it go. And she knew it was really getting serious when one grabbed a shotgun and one grabbed a rifle and one went to the back door and one went to the front door. And she said, watch. So she decided, well, you know what? I'm going to go, you know, see if I can get something out of Billy Ray. Billy Ray would be easier to get something out of than, than Elmer would, my dad. Mm-hmm. So she went to the back door where Billy Ray was and she squatted down beside him on the floor. And she asked him, you know, Billy Ray, what's, what's he out there? And he's like, Miss Glennie, I don't know what it was, but I don't think it was anything of this earth. And, you know, kept on talking about it. And 
it was a little while, and finally, all of a sudden, out from around the corner of the house, here come just coming around as big as you please. Well, of course, here my grandmother seen it. She screamed, fell to the floor, everybody came running. And she said, I said, you know, I saw it. I thought there is something out here. And about that time, there was a shot rang out in front of the house. They kept, went running to the front. And my Uncle J.C. had shot one through the screen on the window. And so, all right, well, that was it. So anyway, Billy Ray ran out the front and something reached down and grabbed for his hair and just as it reached my aunt Eileen grabbed him and yanked him in so there was one on the roof so there was one on the roof and it was sitting on a little stoop that was over the porch there and so when that happened my dad ran out you know turned toward where it was and shot at it he hit it it rolled off the roof, just rolled off, went on the ground, looked at him, and just went floating off into the back, of, you know, in the woods. About that time, he turned around. There was one sitting up in the maple tree in the front yard, so he shoots at it. About this time, okay, everybody's seeing these things. And so they run in the house, and, of course, um, about that time, I, I believe there was one on the back fence also and they shot at it also when all this was going on so you know here they shot about three of them and um went in the house didn't know what to do didn't know what they were my dad told the the women to get the children go to the back bedroom and hide under the bed and um until they figure out what to do and of course they didn't know because they didn't know what they were dealing with mm-hmm. they were coming up to the windows and the doors and when they do this they were shooting at them because they didn't know if they were trying to get in the house. If they didn't get in the house, what were they going to do when they got in the house? You know, they had children there, you know. His, you know, my grandmother was there. She was 50 at the time, you know, which my dad was going to protect his family. So, anyway, they all got quiet, and my dad was trying to figure out what to do. And so about that time, of course, the women were hysterical. The kids were crying. It was just craziness. Did they have a telephone? No. They didn't? Okay. No, no telephone. The only thing they had was the radio. Right. That was the only communication they had with the outside world was the radio. And um, about that time, they heard one of them going across that metal roof. You could hear the scratching. Well, that was it. I mean, that just, that did it right there. It was like, all right, something's got to give here. So my dad is like, all right, as soon as it gets quiet again, we're going to head out, get in those trucks, and we're going to get to Hopkinsville. Hopkinsville's about seven miles down the road. We'll get to the sheriff's department office. We'll get there. We'll get we'll get help. We will get help. Mm-hmm. That was his idea. So it got quiet finally, and he thought, okay, let, let, let's do this. So they all ran out, jumped in the trucks, left. Got to Hopkinsville. Of course, here you've got 11 people, 11 of them now, running into the sheriff's office in the middle of the night. One little officer on duty, because this is 1955. you got to think. Mm-hmm. Mayberry here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so he's just like, oh, my gosh, you know what's going on here? Because you've got from 50 down to 7 in the age range. 
and he knew something had to be wrong because you just don't come out this time of night with with that many people in a family. So here they all are trying to talk, you know, all trying to explain what was going on, and he tried to calm them down to see what was going on. And he finally understood they had some kind of a, a fight going on with little men. So he calls Russell Greenwell, who was the sheriff at the time, and tells him what's going on, and he's like, Hold on, keep him calm. I'll be right there. He said, call Fort Campbell, which was the Army base down the road. Call Madisonville, call Evansville, call all around, get all you can to this little farm. We're going to figure this out. So they sat there and they wait. He gets there and there's this little caravan van going to Kelly. Just car after car and truck after truck of people. You've got police officers, you've got reporters, you've got photographers, you've got people from Fort Campbell, you know, everywhere going down there. And so they get there, they search the place, and then the family will go in the house until the house is totally searched and there's nothing around or in it. And, you know, everybody's still scared, everybody, you know, their nerves are on end, nobody has slept. You know, it's just terrible, and you could feel like something in the air wasn't right and as they were coming up the road to the house some of the officers actually saw a puddle of glowing something next to the fence where they had actually shot at one of the little men Mm -hmm. now they could see this off from a distance but when they would get up close to it it would disappear they couldn't see it anymore and they thought this kind of strange And so, anyway, they looked and searched. They could tell something happened because, of course, there's evidence of shells, you know, rifle and shotgun shells were everywhere. The the screens had holes in them. The woodwork was shot up. You know, they were shooting at something. But what, they couldn't find anything. There was no blood, no bodies, no fur, no skin, no feathers, nothing. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't find anything, so there's nothing they could do. And so they left. So after they left, everybody tried to settle back down. Um, my grandmother got the kids in bed, and she settled down in her bed, and my dad sat there in the rocking chair by her with a shotgun across his lap. And she, you know, she uh, drove off to sleep, and she kept waking up, and she'd open her eyes, and she thought she would see the little man again, and she thought, well, she's just dreaming. And she'd open her eyes up, and she thought she'd see it again. And this happened about three times. And on the third time, she finally thought, no. And so she hollered at my dad and said, they're back. And so he gets up, starts shooting again, and so they start all over again. Hmm. They do this till about 5.15 when the sun starts coming up. And... They don't know why it was. Maybe it was because of the light. They don't know. But they disappeared when the light and the sun came up. And um, so after that, they just tried to continue on with life. And and, and never happened again. It, they didn't come back. What evidence did they find, uh, people from Fort Campbell and the police, or other than that glowing pool of, of whatever it might have been? I mean, obviously there couldn't have been any... Footprints, I shouldn't think, because of um, the fact that the, the, these were floating above the ground, as the, as the witnesses described. Right. They couldn't find any footprints or anything like that. What about the UFO sightings that had occurred 
before this uh when what what's the timeline on that with UFO sighting well I, I understand there were lights seen in the sky before this incident occurred uh you mentioned that there was one with almost like a rainbow behind it and there there were uh, as i understand it other reports from around the, that area around right. that same time right that night there were some um some strange lights you know, people were seeing strange lights that night. People were hearing things that night. What did they uh, hear? They just never, well, just strange sounds that they that they weren't used to hearing, hmm. like humming sounds, things like that. Interesting. Um, now, Sheriff Greenwell, he had an incident uh, a couple of years before that where he was coming home from visiting his sister down at Kentucky Lake, and... Um, actually saw a craft in the air. Him and 75 to 100 people were actually stopped in the road and saw this craft. And so that's why he was, you know, he was one of the many people that wholeheartedly believed them because he actually saw something himself, you know, a couple of years before that. So, you know, he knew there was a possibility that something happened there because another thing, too, you just don't, take a family like that and run to town in the middle of the night seven or eight miles down the road to try to get help and you know my grandmother her being the religious person she was you know it was just so many things about these people that you know made it real you know Mm -hmm. and um so you know well, it's just one of those things. Yeah, well, I, uh, what things one might ask. But, Geraldine, I was going to ask you, what, what um, in, in growing up with the eyewitnesses, including your dad and others, your aunt, uh, what um, did, they, did they ever tell you about feelings they had when this was occurring? Did they feel threatened? Did they feel just frightened, uh, curious, annoyed, angry? What, you know, how, how did these, whatever these little beings might have been, what um, what feelings went along with the experience, or did they, they? They were afraid. Afraid, okay. They were just plain out scared, is what it was. Well, the shooting might indicate that's were. true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you got you got to realize this is 1955. All they had was a radio. You mm-hmm. know, they didn't know anything. You know, this was a, a little farming family that. Um, had no clue what this could have been. You know, they knew farm animals and that kind of thing. They didn't know what this was that was three, three and a half foot tall, had big old eyes on them and ears and floated atop the ground, you know? And so it scared them. It would scare anybody. It would scare anybody today. Sure, if, sure. If, if something like that was coming up to your doors and windows. You can't tell me you would not be afraid. Oh, no, no, of course. I'm thinking, too, of, um, with the exception of the ears, the description of these creatures is very similar to something that happened in this area, uh, right in our listening area here, the, uh, the, the Dover Demon, it was, it was called, of Dover, Massachusetts, April 21st and 22nd, 1977. Maybe it's something about the number 21, I don't know. But uh, it, the depictions and eyewitness accounts of that, there was only one, seemingly, uh, was very similar to, to the, the creatures you describe. Now, what in your own... Now, you've researched this probably more than anyone. What in your own mind were these creatures? Were they aliens off one of the... Assuming these lights were craft of some kind, and in the 50s, that's the, the approach people would probably take. Right. What, what do you think these were? 
because of the lights that were seen that night and everything, I have to lean toward the alien. Um, there are so many other things out here, though. Um, I found out that the Cherokee used to have to deal with this little goblin-type creature that... It's funny you bring that up. Only a few weeks ago, we had someone from Western North Carolina who was describing just what you say. Mm-hmm. That resembled the Kelly alien. And they had to deal with this little goblin, and they would have to run it off their land. And the thing would fool with the Cherokee at night. It wouldn't bother them during the day. It would mess with them at night. Mm-hmm. And see, that's exactly what these did and so you know i i don't know i just always try to make people understand that that something happened that night whether it be alien paranormal i don't know goblin supernatural (laughs) um well you do look back over folklore and uh, there are very similar creatures to this but they're given different labels and as we often say on the show that perhaps the uh the nature of the experience where it takes place and how you feel about it Depend, you know, it w- will will determine what sort of label you put on it. You know, ghost or gremlin or alien, and uh, n- none of those may be entirely correct in the sense that we understand them. Right. Yeah, that would totally. Yeah, that makes total sense. So yeah, ha- I don't know what they seen that night. You know, my sure. it was a sunny evening. My grandmother had went to church. But um, but if you have uh, the number of people, as you mentioned, eleven people, you know, most of whom I presume saw. Mm-hmm. one or more of these creatures, then that that should cut some ice, you know, as opposed to just one person reporting something like that. Yes. And see, that was that what makes it so credible also is because you have all these grown-ups that actually did see these, actually did describe what they saw, and actually, you know, all the drawings coincide together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's another thing that makes this so credible is because, Okay, their stories never changed for one. The drawings are so much similar, and it's just it's just too much. Okay, know. now uh, Geraldine, you have the new book out, the the Kelly Green Men, also uh, I should say, Alien Legacy Revisited. What um, what new information do you have in the book as compared with Alien Legacy? Tell you all the info, but <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! Without giving uh, too much away. Yeah yeah. Uh, well, I have learned quite a few things since the first book. Um, people have come forward. Um, I have found out some information that people kept till their deathbed. Okay, mm. that they've kept to themselves, and they weren't. They 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 kept it until. They were ready to die. That's how much the secret this stuff was. Mm-hmm. And so there's some stuff in there you're going to find out that nobody knows about. Okay. Nobody knows about. And you can't give us a hint. Well. I respect that. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. It's, it's good stuff. Okay, good. Now, you often hear that people will keep things to themselves until their deathbeds, and, and then they'll, they realize it's probably the last chance. So well, you've got to realize that these are military people that I've gotten this information from. Oh, okay. And so military people will keep stuff to themselves. Yes. Because yeah. they have to. Yeah, I know. Or, yeah. you know, clip, clip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Or whatever they do to them. Yeah. But, um, so that is why these things have been kept secret, and I just hope I don't get 
my little clip clip, you know, for telling this stuff. But. Well, hopefully not. I mean, if we haven't, you probably will. But, but, um, <laughs> but uh, let me ask you this, too, now, Geraldine. Did, did relatives who witnessed the incident ever report other paranormal experiences related or unrelated to that incident, you know, before or after, at least in your, in your life? No, no. Okay, and if they it, had of, they wouldn't have said anything because the ones that are still alive today, I don't think if if anything were to happen to any of them, they wouldn't say a word because they'd be too afraid to because okay. they were so ridiculed back then. Sure, sure. And even today, I think they, they that's in the back of their mind and they're so afraid that they're going to be laughed at. Well, I was and just going to ask you, how many are still alive from that incident? Three. Three, okay. The small, three small children are still alive. Oh, of course, yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, what uh, other, there are a number of other creatures in, in Kentucky. We've had a few other guests from Kentucky about the uh, Bigfoot-like creatures and things of that kind. Um, were these particular creatures from that ever reported in Kentucky again? to the best of your knowledge, or before, uh, other than the Cherokee reports? Any other similar incidents that you know of? Not that I know of. Okay. But, you know, they could be. You know, people, pe- more people are coming out now. Yeah. yeah well, today people are getting, more forthcoming with this information. Yes, they're getting more comfortable, and they're they're not as afraid to speak out now. Mm-hmm. And look at the TV. I mean, there are so many shows on TV now. And most I mean, of them rubbish, but they're there. They're there, and yeah. so people are, you know, like mm-hmm. you say, they're just not afraid. Have you ever, spe- and we're almost coming up to our break here, but have you ever speculated, or did anyone in your family who was there speculate, what might have happened if they had not resisted, as it were? Um, er- every account I've read, and correct me if I'm wrong, every account I've read of this incident does not seem to indicate overtly hostile action on the part of these creatures. They just sort of came toward the house, or one was on the roof. Uh, maybe they were just curious. I don't, I don't know. Um, what, what, uh, has anyone speculated what might have happened if uh, they had not uh, been able to hold these creatures off? Well, we don't know. I've had people tell me um, that are specialists in this <laughs> that because they were small, maybe they were wanting to communicate with the kids. Um, mm. Well, that wasn't going to happen, for one. Of no. course, my grandmother, being the kind-hearted person she was, she was trying to keep my dad and them from shooting at them because she didn't think they were trying to harm them. Yeah, okay, well, that's significant. All yeah, right. so, you know, but we don't know no. uh, what would have happened if they had let them in the house. Okay, <laughs> come on to dinner. Well, we'll um, we're going to take our break right now. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON in New England's that's 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our fascinating discussion with Geraldine Stith on the Kelly Green Men of 1955. <laughs> Sounds like some kind of movie review, but there you go. Okay, we'll be right back. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Paul Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240 AM on Mondays and our new drive time slot at 6 PM. The paranormal is not what you think it is. You're going to examine the whole thing from a whole new perspective on our show, and we expect that you're going to be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need it. Be there. Okay, 
Okay, and uh, before we get back to our discussion, I wanted to remind you of some of the charities Ben and I have adopted on the show. Certainly, USACares.org, great help to veterans financially uh, from that organization. Uh, locally here in Rhode Island, we have Builders Helping Heroes, a uh, charity of the Rhode Island Builders Association, doing uh, carpentry and uh, full, even full ho- house construction for those who have uh, given their lives or, or have, um, whose families uh, uh, are in need of the help uh, from uh, the uh, people who are families of our veterans. Also, for our friends north of the St. Lawrence, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy as well. So check all those out. We'll give you the websites at the end of the show. So let's get back to our fascinating discussion on the um, Kelly Hopkinsville incident in Kentucky of 1955. Now, Geraldine, let's just put this whole thing in perspective. There was um, uh, a period here in the 50s, especially uh, in 1952, I'm thinking of particularly, when there were lots and lots of sightings, including sightings of UFOs over Washington, D.C., Many people assumed these were alien spacecraft of some kind. The Air Force was chasing them with orders to shoot them down. Uh, and that there were incidents just about everywhere, and Hollywood jumped on the bandwagon and started making all these movies and this sort of thing. So with that as the background, how much interest from the, the press, or the media as we would call it today, uh, occurred in the wake of this, uh, this incident in 1955 with your family? Oh, a lot. A lot. Um, they had a lot of people coming in wanting to talk to on the course. My daddy just wanted to let it go. I mean, he saw how people people were reacting to that when they came that night, you know, the military and everybody that came that night. And um, he didn't like it. And so he told everybody, let's just let it go. Just don't say anything more about it because I think it'll, it'll, it'll be bad for us. Yeah. So did, he just wanted to let it go. Did you ever find out why the military was there, or the sheriff's department called them in, or what? Well, yeah, yeah. Russell Greenwald told them to call the military, and they sent out, Fort Campbell sent out the military. Um, now, you'll find out in the new book that they actually... Um, came and the next morning went over the grounds to find who come. Um, you don't hear that. No. They no, don't I talk haven't. about that. Yeah. But I found out they did. Well, I had heard that, I had heard there were, uh, sorry to interrupt, I had heard there were uh, uh, some marks in the ground as of a landing you know, landing pads, that, that sort of thing as you often see in some of these UFO cases anyway. Is that uh, correct? Well, there was actually a, uh, it was a uh, big round circular place. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it was actually there because, see, my parents kept this hid from us kids. And uh, we didn't hear about it until about 68. Hmm. And uh, after we heard about it, my daddy took us to Kelly and showed us for a half of that. And we went back in the field where it landed, and sure enough, still in 68, there was a big round spot. Really? On the ground. Yeah. still there. I can see it right now because I was a little kid, but I can remember it. And, you know, I've got brothers and sisters that remember it. That's a common uh, common phenomenon in many UFO landings. Uh, is it, uh, do you know when that might have disappeared? Is is the farm still in your family, or was it sold no, off? No, it's been sold off in pieces. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
the person that owns that section. They, it's grown up now. I actually seen it a couple of years ago. I got to go back there and look at it. They let us go back there and look at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's um, grown up now, but you got to think it's, that was what fifty-eight years later. So yeah, hey. yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, uh, the uh, I'm looking at the uh, the green men kind of publicity, and and but you say that these were not actually green, more right. silvery or grayish. Right. Okay. Gray, gunmetal gray, some people say. Oh, all right. So have you, in looking at other artistic renditions of other forms of aliens, and there seem to be many, if that's what they really are, mm-hmm. have you seen any that correspond with the large ear, large eye sort of configuration that these fellas had? Or is this kind of unique? Well, they are unique. You don't, okay. you don't hardly see the... Um, I did come across a story called Walsall Watched It. And I actually talk about it in the book because it looks kind of like our little guy. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. So, you know, there are a few out there that look kind of like our little alien, but he's unique and special. So okay. So like to keep him that way. Dan, did you have any questions? I'm walking all over the lines here, so. Well, you see... Uh, well, no, you sort of said all the questions that I had in my mind. No, then we have a report. Oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll come up with something. Okay. <laughs> Just sit tight. All right. Now, I'm wondering, too, uh, I'm thinking of um, uh, the, the, the night I can just, I almost wish I was there. Uh, any form of communication attempted by these things, or they just sort of walk toward the house? And uh, another question that arises is, how, did, how do you think they got up on the roof or into that maple tree? I mean, and you mentioned that they, they apparently were reported as floating above the ground. Could they float higher and get into the trees and things? I mean, is that a, something well, that's been considered? Well, that's the only thing I can figure. Now, of course, I don't think they saw them do that. No. Because when they looked out there, they were already there. Um, and as far as communication, they didn't have a chance to communicate. <laughs> okay, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> because they were getting shot at. Okay. What is the uh, the the uh, the closest that one of these actually? And how many were there exactly? Do, do they spec? And, and how many? Uh, how close did they actually get to the house? Of course, what, perhaps being on the roof might have been the closest, or what? But how many? Well, my daddy always thought there was three or four. He didn't think there was ever any more than that. He three or thought four, okay. it was the same three or four that kept coming up. One of the inter- uh, okay. One of the interesting aspects of this is that they seemed impervious or semi-impervious to to gunfire, except right. for perhaps that that one. one I think it was the one rolled off the roof and then sort of strolled away, as you say. Why do you suppose that might have been the case? But we have a theory on that. But why do you suppose that uh, they wouldn't have been affected entirely, at least by by gunfire? Well, there was either their skin was either tough enough to take it. Or they was wearing something over their skin. One or the two. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. We, we might suggest a third possibility, and that would be uh, that they were, and this goes along with the multiverse theories that we always work on, maybe they weren't in, t- maybe, they, maybe the way they traveled, if that's what they were doing, uh, whether through time or space or both or whatever, is uh, has to do with the um, the multi- multiverse theories that they're parallel worlds and that they, they weren't they were kind of halfway across the boundary, not entirely 
in our world, at least some of them were, and that's why they might not have been affected or entirely affected by the gunfire, because obviously that's entirely speculation. Mm-hmm. But um, just one uh, one thought, because we've seen things like that before mm-hmm. in some of the cases we've investigated and, and uh, other things that are in our files, but that's... Uh, Neither here nor there, I guess, at this point, and we don't really know. Ben has a question. So have there been any other incidents that you know of, uh, n- not just at, at at the old family homestead, but, like, anywhere else in Connecticut, uh, Connecticut yeah, in Kentucky, I should say? Like this one? Yeah, well, similar to, or, like, you know, did... did people coming off ships and yeah. bothering other people. Yeah, yeah similar, similar <laughs> aspects, or have you delved into that rabbit hole? No, I have not, and, you, you know, I haven't ever, this is a unique story, you know, I have never does heard seem to be, of yeah. any other story where the family actually shoots at the thing, the mm. aliens or whatever, you know, so it, it's unique in its own way, in many, many aspects it's unique, so... All right, but, well, I but I haven't. You know, <coughs> I have a lot of friends, and when they find things, they do send me things. You know, so if anybody ever comes across anything, they'll, I'll get it, believe me. Okay. But uh, nobody has sent me anything here lately, so. All right. Well, tell us about the Little Green Men Days Festival. Well, this is unique also. Uh, mm-hmm. This will be our fifth year. Fifth um, year, okay. Yeah, uh, because of the Little Green Men, they're getting to do this, so it's special. Um, the whole thing behind it is Kelly is a very small community. Um, with the Green Men, they're hoping to do many things for their community, um, to raise money to build a community center, a park, and some other things that they feel would would, uh, help their little community there in Kelly. So the Green Men are actually helping in this. They terrorized my family in 55. Now we're using them (laughs) to help uh, the people now in Kelly to to get things that that are needed. Turn it right around. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Okay, uh, well, that's great. Now, now what are the dates? Uh, Now, you you mentioned something about 2017, because we we thought maybe of coming down and doing a podcast or something. Yes, 2017 is going to be major. Um, That year is a solar eclipse. Right, yeah. Um, From what I understand, the darkest part of it is going to be right there amongst Kelly-Hopkinsville area. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, scientists from all over the world are coming. Uh, the hotels are being booked up right now in Hopkins. Two years in advance, yeah. Um, they're expecting around 50,000 people that weekend. Wow. Um, farmers are planning to have areas where people can actually camp on their farm. It's going to be really big. Um, It's going to be in the afternoon. It's going to last almost three minutes. It's going to be as dark as midnight. And I've had people telling me they're afraid because they think the green men are coming back Hmm. because it's actually on the day of the anniversary of the green men encounter that this is going to be happening. 
Well, that's interesting because maybe this time if they, um, they might tell you what they were after. Uh, <laughs> one, one other question that arises, uh, whether they arrive uh, in 2017 or whether it was back in 55 or whatever, I, I've always wondered why or how alien creatures, if that's what they were, uh, would not have to take precautions, or maybe they did if that's what they were, uh, against alien microbes, in other words, our own. In other words, you can't just go to another planet, even if it has an uh, identical atmosphere, and just walk around and breathe, because you have no immunity to right. whatever microbes might be in the air. Right. So uh, I don't know if that has ever come up in your speculation. Uh, I'm wondering if they, they had any breathing devices. Maybe that was what the ears were, we people thought were ears. I mean, what, what, what say you on that? You know what? Nobody has ever, ever brought that up. Well, we do that on this show. I, we have a lot of guests say that. Nobody ever asked me that before. So. <laughs> Never thought of that. Something Maybe that had something to do with their big ears. We don't know. Something is, well, for, there's an idea for book number three. There you go. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I'll, we'll leave you to think about that. And now tell us about the books, again, where people can get them, and your website, and whatever yes. else you'd like to promote. Yes, you can get uh, you can get them. Well, they're not going on sale until the twenty first because I promised. Yeah. Uh, that they would not go on sale till the festival this year. Makes sense. Yeah. Kind of make them a little special because it's the sixtieth anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do go on sale, you can go you can go on Alien Legacy nineteen fifty five dot com, or you can go on McClanahan. Now I know it's a a lot of McClanahan Publishing. That's the publishing company with this one. And get it on there. Okay. Or you can go to just to uh, KentuckyBooks.com. Okay, and we have, uh, we'll see if we can get some more of those links on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. For this show, there's a, a link to um, uh, Geraldine's website, and, and there, there are links there, I'm sure, for the books. But, uh, okay, Geraldine, um, that's. Um, an amazing story, as you say. It's pretty unique, and uh, we'll be talking to you because we might come down for that. And yeah. um, you know, we'll be in touch. And uh, thanks for a great interview. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you asking me. Okay, talk to you soon. Have a good thank one. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Now uh, we're going to try and tackle a one very interesting email here, and uh, I'll hand it over to Ben. And why don't we take it a, one paragraph at a time? This is from uh, Lisa in. I don't know where she's from. Okay. Lisa from somewhere. Uh, Ah, there we go. Okay, cool. This wasn't one we've read before. Excellent. So she writes, "Uh, I recently stumbled onto you. I was watching a YouTube video and heard your experiences and your explanations. I'm fascinated. I've started listening to your podcasts and bought two of your books all in one week. Uh, I have always believed in the power of... Only two. I've always believed in the power of the paranormal, but I've never experienced anything myself until a couple months ago. She goes on to say, The grandmother of a friend of mine passed away, and my friend was very upset uh, because she was unable to attend the funeral. One night, in front of uh, an outdoor fire, something happened to me that I couldn't explain. I I started getting mental images about my friend's past, specifically as though I were looking through her grandmother's eyes. I could describe a couch that her grandmother had and her grandmother's feelings and emotions about various parts of my friend's life. Uh, I felt anger, joy, laughter uh, that I was um, that was not my own. Uh, the ultimate question became, where is my grandmother? And I could instantly feel her all around us. 
Uh, time passed. I don't know how much time. It felt like 15 minutes to me, but it ended up being more like two hours. Uh, all I had wanted to do was comfort my friend, but this was something else. Uh, I had no way of really explaining what had happened. Uh, I just knew that uh, it wasn't normal. Thinking back, I have always felt a connection with the dead. I remember being around five years old, and it was Thanksgiving. I tugged my father's sleeve and told him that Grandpa was dead. The phone rang at the exact same time, and it was the new It was um, the news, in fact, that my grand that or his grandfather had died. Um, when my own grandfather died, I could feel him all around me, and I still do today. I want to know what this is. I want to know if this is some trick that my mind is playing on me, in my need to comfort, uh, need to find comfort in death, or am I really experiencing something paranormal? Uh, I do. I'm going to keep going. Uh, no, there's plenty for now. Okay. Uh, you know, if okay, at the end of the letter, uh, Lisa asks the uh, what would be the explanation? I so in 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 so many words, in the classical sense and the paranormal sense, and then in the uh, multiverse sense that she has been reading about in our uh, books and that sort of thing and, and hearing on the shows. Well, okay, the, the, the paranormal or the uh, or more specifically the classical explanation for what she's experiencing or has experienced is that she would be psychic, quote-unquote, which is generally defined as being able to pick up signals from the dead or the living or whatever, because that would be more mediumistic, but that's the classical explanation, and that uh, various stimuli are picked up, and you can take it into your brain and interpret it and say it, you know, and for so for others to learn from. Uh, I don't think that's good enough. Uh, our explanation has more to do with the existence of parallel worlds, as we began to discuss with our guest this evening, and what that would mean is that where there are many, and th- th- this is the fringe areas of physics, but it is legitimate physics that there are, in the interpretation of many physicists, parallel worlds that are just as real as ours, only a little bit different from one from the other. And uh, not only that, but we sort of pass through many of these in the course of our day, and they are what we call world families. In other words, you're passing through these all the time, uh, and they are so similar that you really don't notice any difference. In one, you may, and what we often use as, as an example, you may drop a pen as you're trying to write something. Or, you buy, or these days, nobody who uses pens, right? You may drop your iPad or something instead, uh, which can be a bit more costly than a pen. But in any case, you will then separate into two worlds, one in which you dropped the iPad and one in which you did not drop the iPad. That literally seems to be how our creation is organized or disorganized, some may say. And uh, you simply go on in both worlds, and it's all you. <clears throat> and you have the memory of... Uh, not dropping the thing because you didn't do it or dropping it because you did do it, but you also have an awareness of what would have happened when you didn't, and that's because you're still in that parallel world. That's a little bit hard to understand, but that's how it seems to work. So that when Lisa is sitting by this fire and having an experience of someone else's grandmother, she at some point is connecting with the part of the multiverse, with the parallel world, where she is the grandmother. And it really is quite sensible and not all that complicated when you think of it in open-minded terms uh, and in terms of this this multiverse. That's literally how it's... You know, I've run into that for the last 45 years. Uh, one case or another, I think many of our ghost phenomena, we think our spirits of the dead are actually people just going about their lives. 
in parallel worlds where they never died or where you don't even know who they are or where they think you're a ghost because they see you the same way you see them and it goes on and on and on. Uh, ben and I have both had experiences of this kind of multiversal uh, awareness, so to speak, as simply in the course of, uh, of working with the paranormal, even in daily life sometimes. So I think that what Lisa was experiencing was simply one of these um, kind of conjunctions or uh, realizations of where she is in some other part of the multiverse. Some time ago, a number of years ago, uh, we have a very dear friend who was a, uh, is a publicist and worked for us, or for me, and uh, was bound and determined to turn me into a psychic. Okay, and that's not what I do. And I don't want to be known as one. I try to be feet on the ground and, and if, as much as I can, uh, somewhat scholarly and uh, that, that and very sensible and that sort of thing. And the other, <coughs> that the other sorts of, of awareness I leave sort of to others uh, to some degree. But uh, I, I actually tried it. And I had very similar experiences to what Lisa describes. It was like I became other people. I had their memories. I had their uh, imagination. I, I, I knew who they knew and had their fears uh, to a great degree, and it was just too much. I couldn't deal with it. It was, it was too intimate, and I just I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So uh, I, I stopped doing that, and although to some degree, I mean, once you're aware of that, it does happen now and then. But, you know, you control it, and you keep your feet on the ground, and you stay sane. So I think that's really what was happening. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you, Ed, but she, she makes a point to say that she she's sort of like well am I am I am I crazy am I am I imagining this like am I just trying to find something to uh comfort myself in, in with with the idea of death and you know I think that's a good it's a good attitude not to just blindly accept things that's true that's yes. that's a very that's a very safe attitude and there's something to be said for that that's, but maybe it depends what you think you're blindly accepting that's true uh, I still I still think a healthy a healthy skepticism mm-hmm. is is um Yes, step back and examine what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Where it's coming from and all that. Where it's coming from, It's very, very, um, it's prudent. It's very prudent. It is prudent. All kinds of of false leads in this stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can can get led all over the place. The idea of, like, oh, well, I can talk to the dead. And And that's where the parasites come in. Yeah, so it's it's good that she's sort of keeping a level head and she's looking for sensible reasonings. Yes. So I guess there are multiple answers as Ben suggests uh, one is of course what I said and that's that you could be experiencing this in, in a very normal multiversal sense of the term because that's how creation seems to be organized or you could be fooling yourself or something that's trying to feed from you can be fooling you and we run into that all the time too uh, parasitical entities which folklore knows as demons or evil spirits but known throughout history uh, seem to farm us or in, uh, to some degree and seem to prey upon our energy, strangely enough. And these are multiversal creatures and they're perfectly natural and they're not spirits and all this business. And uh, that is another explanation because they're very good at mimicking uh, things. Uh, man, many creatures in nature, uh, I often think of the, the, so the walking stick insects. They're called walking sticks because they look just like sticks. They literally walk along, and other creatures come along, think they are sticks, and then they get eaten before they uh, know what happened. So Mm. uh, mimics uh, will mimic something, in this case, in the case of parasites, something innocent, something good, uh, and they will uh, prey that way and bring in other creatures by uh, by simply um, 
pretending to be something good. Uh, I'm thinking of the classic archetypes who um, that uh, will be involved in the uh, uh, cases. Sometimes we found out that they're parasites. The little girl with flowers in her hair, blonde hair and flowers in her hair. Uh, that's a common archetype, a common uh, theme that often turns out to be a parasite. Uh, we do have a caller here at the last minute, a Bill from Franklin. Hello. Hello, Bill. I was watching uh, Ancient Aliens, which I don't, don't agree with half of it. But, but, uh, <laughs> Our good friend Bill Burns. But the, but uh, at the at the very end of one that they were saying uh there there were there were these uh, aliens that 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 feed off the energy and and I thought of you when they when they said it. No, oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Hopefully so, not as one of them. No, but they they were calling them you know from 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 other worlds though. But, but yeah, well, of, I mean it, it depends what you mean by other worlds. Well, other worlds can be other planets, or they could be other yeah. dimensions, as people say, or other parallel universes. I mean, other worlds can mean a lot of different things. But I get your drift. They, con- they contradict themselves all the time on that. They say one thing, they say another thing, they say another thing. They never say, stick with, with one theory. Well, that's true. Uh, well, I suppose you have to look at all possibilities. I mean, we do the same thing. We, we always say that we could be wrong and other theories may be correct. Uh, we know Bill Burns very well. He's actually co-hosted this show. Bill, Bill is the, yeah. uh, the producer of that and uh, of uh, UFO Hunters before that. Yeah. And, uh, but there are, there are a number of people who um, ha- have not been on the show. Uh, have, you, that, have you seen that? You've seen Hangar 1 is, is very good. I, I've been told that. I have not had a chance to see it. I haven't really uh, been able to uh, watch much television. It's, it's a MUFON Files. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, all right. yeah, I know the one you mean. Yeah, I'll have to take a gander at that. So you think it's pretty good, eh? Yeah, yeah it is very good. Oh, yeah. cool, all right. Well, Bill, I'm afraid we're kind of out of time. It's always a pleasure to have you call, and we'll talk to you again. Okay, bye. All right. Okay, so that's about it. So, I hope, Lisa, I hope that answers your question. Uh, if not, write in again. And let's get to our announcements then. Okay, this Friday, August 21st, 60th anniversary of the uh, Kelly, Kentucky incident, Ben and I will be at the Barnes & Noble Booksellers in Milford, Connecticut for the official release of William J. Hall's new book, The Haunted House Diaries. Uh, that's about the Litchfield County, Connecticut paranormal flat. Ben and I started investigating in 05, and that has been growing ever since. That's at 7 p.m., uh, the address is 1375 Boston Post Road, Milford, Connecticut, and we're very honored that the book is dedicated to us. And on Saturday and Sunday, September 5th and 6th, we're speaking once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. Our subject uh, for the talk is Aliens versus Demons, Which is Which? The UFO Festival is very fun and a town-wide event organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Other speakers will include the great Stanton Friedman, along with Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin, uh, Bob Schroeder, and Jennifer Stein. You can visit www.exeterufofestival.org for more information. And on Thursday, September 24th, we will join the Haunted House Diaries author, William J. Hall, for a joint book event and paranormal program at Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Hank's has great food, and it will be a lot of fun. That will be at 6.30 p.m. It's free, except for the food, and uh, you're all welcome to come, and our books will be on sale. And on Saturday, October 17th, we'll once again be the speakers at the Greater New England UFO uh, Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts. With a, uh, we will present a different variation on our subject, the Aliens vs. Demons, which is which, 
other speakers uh, will include some uh, renowned experts familiar to our listeners, including Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and uh, William J. Hall. You can visit www.susantom.com slash ufo.html. And you can also visit our show website, that's behindtheparanormal.com, where you can find all those links and much more, including 600 free podcasts of our past shows on both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Yeah, a lot more than 600 right now, I guess, since this is our 600th show. You can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Look, and The Usual Suspects. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you'll help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to the charities we've been talking about, and that's USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things for at-risk youth in that city in California, youthmentoring.org. And there are two recent, uh, just released by, uh, recently released by Global Communications, that's the great Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company, that would be of interest to our listeners. One is the Bell Witch Project, which contains that story and also a few contributions by yours truly on historic paranormal cases here in New England, including the 17th century Spectre Leaguers of Massachusetts and the 18th, 19th century Vampire Hysteria in Connecticut. And uh, I guess we'll have to move right on. So uh, next Monday, August 24th, we will take a look at the odd story of America's Stonehenge in North Salem, New Hampshire, with owner Dennis Stone. Irony. I knew his father. Oh, really? His name was Stone, too. There we go. So we'll leave you this evening with a thought from the great American baseball player Jackie Robinson. A life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And that vaguely Socrates quote will uh, end our show. And thank you for joining us on a great cosmic journey. And we will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.